Yeah, good. I'd like to thank you for the item you gave just a few minutes ago. Fantastic, being up here listening to all of you, together with our two ladies there that were coming out nicely over the fold back. So, been entertained. Been great. Anyway, praise the Lord. We're going to open our Bibles now and start reading a few things. Now, we're going to start in the book of Genesis. This could take a while. But um, anyway, we're just going to look in chapter 3. <clears throat> now, I want to talk about guilt. So, <clears throat> has anybody ever felt guilty? Well, we all should have. But I wonder how many of us still feel guilty when we shouldn't. So I'll explain that as we go along. So in Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of uh, Adam and Eve <coughs> and how that they were put into the garden and they were told that they could uh, eat of any fruit that they liked in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, they gave into the temptation and they took of the forbidden fruit. And we read in verse 6, it was the woman, Eve, who took it first. She saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They tried to run away from God. They realized that they had broken God's commandment. And that's what we do. <clears throat> we try to run away from God because deep down we know that we are sinners. And <clears throat> so... But you can't do that because God sees everything. And so they hid, they made themselves aprons and they hid in the garden and so on. And um, you know, they weren't there playing hide and seek. They were trying to get away from God. And uh, so he said, well, have you t done what I told you not to? And they had to admit it. And so they blamed each other. Or he blamed her and she blamed the serpent, and of course the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. You've heard that before. Anyway, so this is typical of what uh, people are like. We do the wrong thing, we run away and hide, and when we're caught up with, we try to blame someone else because we're guilty. And we'll go over to the book of Isaiah. There's so many different scriptures that one could turn to, but I want to just uh, read a little story in Isaiah chapter 6. And we read there, Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll start reading in verse 1. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. 
And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now Isaiah saw this. It was a glimpse of God's temple in heaven. And it was amazing. And he had all of this confirmation of just what a holy place that it was that he was given the privilege of having a glimpse of. But this was the reaction from him. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so he realized that he'd said many things wrong. I just remembered a little story here, I'm full of stories. Been around for a long time and met a lot of people. Uh, many years ago, we had a, a sister had moved across from Melbourne and um, she was very sick and um, her, her natural sister came down from Mackay in Queensland to visit and uh, uh, she was so impressed, the, the, Chris was the name of the lady that came down with her sister Margaret because even though Margaret was dying and she did pass away but she was such a fantastic testimony even in the midst of the suffering that she went through that it brought Chris to the Lord. And so Chris got on the bus to go back to Mackay, all the way on the bus, and I got her details, and I was going to ring the pastor up there and uh, to tell him, but I, I waited for two or three days and make sure that she'd got there. And when I rang him up, the pastor up there, I said, oh, I'm going to ring you about this uh, lady, Chris. Oh, she's already been around and, uh, and got me to go and see her husband already. And he said that now her husband, he was a much older man, and he was a real, you know, outback Queenslander. I think you've met a few of them. And, uh, and he said, oh, I don't mind coming along, but he said, I'll need a few weeks to tidy my mouth up first, uh, because he obviously he swore a lot, which reminds me of a, a story which is not true, but uh, it could have been, about the the Padre out in the bush many years ago and uh, he was uh, coming along with uh, no it wasn't like that no it was the mailman he had the he had the the, uh, the horse and cart and uh, and the the preacher man wanted to get a ride and of course they arrived back an hour late at their destination and they said why are you so late he said well I had to pick the preacher up but he said when he was on board, the horses didn't understand what I was saying. So if you can work that one out. Okay. Anyway, praise the Lord. But so Isaiah was moved by this presence of God that he saw there. And, uh, and it made him realize that he was a sinner. And so he, he sort of said, uh, I'm really in trouble now. I've got a glance, of, a, a glimpse of heaven and uh, so uh, I, I realise what a, 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 a terrible sinner that I am. But the story doesn't end there. And then flew one of the seraphims under me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Now, uh, this is an amazing thing that this live coal 
from the altar in heaven touched his lips and cleansed him from all the wrong that he'd done. And this was, of course, going to be an example of what was going to happen in the New Testament. And, uh, and it goes on to say, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye shall indeed, but perceive not. He said, I want you to go and tell everybody, whether they understand or not, I've got a message for them. Now when you turn through to the New Testament, and we'll do that now, we'll go through to Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus came on the scene, well just be prior to Jesus coming into the limelight, his uh, relative John the Baptist was there at the River Jordan baptising people and, um, they, uh, and getting them to repent. And he said in verse 11 of Matthew 3, I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into the garner of the storehouse, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, not everybody has the same experience, but when I received the Holy Spirit, I got really hot. And uh, I was uh, there praising the Lord, uh, after a while of getting rid of some of the churchy things I'd been doing and, uh, and God filled me with the Holy Spirit and I burst forth speaking in tongues and uh, I really felt heated up from the inside out. Now <clears throat> God was burning up the chaff in my life and just like Isaiah had happened to him and I believe that's why the story is there about Isaiah to show us what the Lord would do for us in the New Testament, that, that God would bring from the altar in heaven, he would, uh, where Jesus had been to, uh, to, to announce that he had paid for the sins of mankind, that he would uh, bring this fire from heaven and come into us and he would touch our lips and instead of all the horrible things that we have done, cursing God, you know, uh, telling lies and uh, rubbishing uh, all sorts of people and so on, God would give to a touch our lips and give us a new language that we could praise him in. And uh, that is, of course, uh, what happens to us under the new covenant. And uh, so he burns up the chaff. And uh, I particularly dwell on my, on my own particular testimony because um, I was brought up to lead a decent life. I had really good parents. We went to church. And um, I had, in the eyes of the world, I'd never done anything seriously wrong. But I was still a sinner. I needed the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to burn up the, the bad things in my life just as much as a murderer or a, a burglar or, a, you know, a whatever. The horrible people that are out there that the, the whole world condemns. I was not listed as being amongst those really nasty types. But in the sight of God, I needed the Holy Spirit just as much as anyone else did. And I just praise God for it because it's when it comes to having a spiritual experience, that happened to me over 60 years ago, but it is the most dynamic spiritual experience that has ever happened to me. But of course, we've got to go on. The fire's got to keep on burning. 
and getting rid of the chaff because bits of chaff blow in and we've got to see them burnt up as well. Let's go to um, another story and this is a really true story. It's in John chapter 8 and again with Jesus. And this one, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adul adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the Lord commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But when Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now, these weren't just some ordinary members of society. These were the religious leaders that had brought this woman, and they were looking to catch Jesus out. And they, they, could, they sensed that he was talking about how that people could be forgiven and so on. And they said, ah, we've got this woman here. And according to the Old Testament law, she should be stoned to death. Things were very much uh, weighted in favour of the men. I, I don't know what they're going to do to the bloke that was involved in this. But anyway, they had her. And so they brought her in and they said, well, come on, Jesus, you tell us now, what are you going to do here? So he just simply dawdled on the ground and people have speculated what he wrote on the ground. I've got no idea what he wrote. He might have been just scribbling there, you hypocrites, or something like that. But anyway, he, uh, uh, he just said, anyone that hasn't got any sin, let him pick up the first stone. And it says that those words that Jesus spoke convicted them, their own conscience, Suddenly they realised, I'm not in any position to throw stones at anybody. I'm living in a glass house here. And so they, 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 they went out and I note that it was from the eldest, the, it, it committed the most sin, under the least, and the woman was left there standing in the midst. And Jesus lifted up himself and said, um, and said, saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And so it just got this wonderful picture here that really encapsulates what, what the world is like. We've got sinners. They're all in that category. And we've got hypocrites who want to point the finger and say, you've done wrong. But then when they are confronted by Jesus himself and they really allow his words to take impact on them, well, they realise that they're sinners as well. But of course, Jesus has got the solution. He wants to get rid of our guilt. He wants to remove the sin from our record. 
And that's why we're here today. We're going to have communion in a, a few minutes' time. And we're going to remember the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood and how his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. Anyway, we're going to read, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And uh, he's saying here that you're all out there in the darkness, as we were, but Jesus is the light, the only true light. There's all sorts of um, pseudo-lights. There's, you know, imitations and so on, and people think that religion is Christianity, and it's not. True Christianity is coming through Jesus Christ and him alone and being born of his spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. And uh, so uh, he said, I'm the light of the world. You should follow after me. And the Pharisees therefore said, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Now, um, they must have... Uh, I believe when I read this whole chapter here that it was sort of all happening in the, in the temple... Um, so they must have come back again and they, oh, that, that guy, he, he, he tricked us before. He made us feel bad about ourselves. And we don't like doing that. We like mother, making other people feel bad, but we don't like to feel bad ourselves. And so uh, that they, they picked, oh, you're bearing witness of yourself. So that can't be true. And Jesus said, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I came and whither I go. You judge after the flesh, and I judge no man. He said, just, just look on the outward appearance, but I'm not here to judge people. I'm here to save people. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father have sent, that sent me. It is written in your law... The testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father has sent me. He bears witness of me. And you don't need any more than that. If God's bearing witness to what you're doing, you're really in good company. And so it goes on to say here, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the temp treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. <clears throat> then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins, and whither I go ye cannot come. And then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, Whither I go ye cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You have come from the place down there, but I am from up here. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. You're all sinners, <coughs> and the only way to escape from the guilt of your sin is to come to me. <coughs> and that's why we're here today. Take the communion. That's what it all hinges on. There's no other way. Um, and then they said unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said to you unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but you have sent, that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. And then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you put me up on the cross... Then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. 
He that sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered, we're Abraham's seed, we're, we're Israelites. We're never in bondage to every man. We've never been slaves. How sayest thou you shall be made free? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And that's what really binds us. It's not when, uh, you know, a, another man puts, uh, you know, some shackles on you or puts you in prison or anything like that. It's your sin within your own life that you need to be free from. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. <clears throat> and that's why I want to talk today about us being not only forgiven of our sin and, uh, and, and having the guilt taken from us, but to stay free and to, and to know that we're free and to believe that we are free and that God is not condemning us. If Jesus doesn't condemn us, well, who else's opinion matters? And so we're going to read, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And we won't read all the rest here for a bit, but there's quite a discourse back and forth between Jesus and these Pharisees. And he said, you, you, I know you're trying to kill me, but, but you claim to be uh, Abraham's children. He said, Abraham wouldn't do that. But, but that's what you're, uh, you, you want to do. So he said, I'm from my heavenly father, and you're really, your father's the devil. Uh, they didn't like that very much. And, uh, <clears throat> and so there's quite a bit we read here, but I'll take you down a little bit further uh, to verse uh, 56. And he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? He was generations back. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus Christ is the word made flesh, and so he was there before Abraham in the beginning with God as the word. And then they took up stones to cast at him. So they started off the chapter, they wanted to stone the woman, and Jesus got her off, and now they want to stone him. And uh, that is so typical of hypocritical people, and often religious people are very hypocritical indeed. And that's why we find it hard. Here we are uh, trying to live a godly life, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit with us, and we're trying to uh, just uphold our testimony all the time and we talk to people and they say don't talk to me about religion because they're just a mob of hypocrites well there are a lot out there but Jesus Christ is no hypocrite and when we are walking with him we're not hypocrites either anyway they wanted to, wanted to stone him and uh, but he uh, I, I like this little bit here that Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple so Sometimes you have to stand up and, uh, and face the music and we're thinking of some of our brethren overseas that are in uh, 
difficult places uh, in the Middle East there and so on that are uh, coming to the Lord and they're in very hostile territory where they're not allowed to have Bibles and all this sort of thing. Well, sometimes you just have to go and quietly hide as the early Christians did in the catacombs and all this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, if the time comes and we've, you know, we've got to face up to, to uh, the challenge and uh, it's either renounce what you believe in or, or you're dead, well, we, we've got no choice. We have to accept that. But if, if there's somewhere to hide, well, uh, let's do that. Don't hide from God, but we can hide from the, some of these nasties if we get the chance. Anyway, have a look in chapter 3 of uh, John now. And we read here a um, passage that many of us know very well with the... Um, the Pharisee came to Jesus by night and uh, Jesus told him he had to be born again. Except you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And he said, you have to be born of water and the spirit. You have to be baptized and filled with the spirit. You, you just, you don't get it unless this happens to you. But I want to take you down to verse 14. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Now that takes us back to a story in the book of Numbers where there were the children of Israel had murmured against God and they, uh, they had all these serpents that, uh, that came and were biting them and so on. Uh, but God told Moses to make a, a brass serpent and to put it up on a pole and if they gazed upon this, they would be delivered. And this was in itself a type of Jesus Christ how that he would be lifted up on a pole on the cross and if we gaze intently upon him, well, even though we're living 2,000 years hence, well, uh, he was lifted up, uh, so we, we look to him. And it goes on to say uh, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have, everlasting, have ev eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, sadly, many of us have heard people, maybe we used to quote this ourselves and say, well, I don't need to get baptised. I don't need to receive the Holy Spirit because I believe in Jesus and I'm going to have everlasting life. Well, if we'd read the whole chapter, we would have found out that it tells us earlier on, you do have to get baptised and you do have to receive the Holy Spirit and you do have to speak in tongues because it's the voice of the Spirit that comes there. But he's going on to talk here of the continuation of our believing and trusting in the Lord. And uh, so we go on to read in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, as we read in the story in chapter 8, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What it's simply saying is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We read about that in Romans uh, chapter, chapter 3. And um, I haven't got time to read a lot of these things. But uh, that's what uh, we read there, that uh, the, the law has proved that everybody is guilty. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of of, of uh, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and so you can't earn it and so many of us have been taught that if you're good if you live a good life you're going to go to heaven 
No, even the best people in this world are not good enough to go to be with the Lord. We have to all be born again. It doesn't seem fair to the people of this world, but it's the only hope. And, uh, you know, if you were shipwrecked and, uh, say, a big ocean liner went down or something and uh, there were lifeboats around... Well, it's, it doesn't mean that the, the, the most worthy ones are the ones that are going to get on the lifeboat. It's the ones that get on it are the ones that are going to be saved. And uh, some of them might not be very nice at all, but they got on, so they get saved. Anyway, let's have a look in... Um, uh, where did we get to? Uh, this is the condemnation, verse 19, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We've got to believe to escape from the condemnation, but people choose not to believe because they like living in the dark. Now, <clears throat> uh, it's not a good place to be. You know, sometimes if, if you're getting around in the dark, it's a good thing, particularly if you get up in the middle of the night and you, and you, you don't turn the light on, it's likely that you'll trip over something. And uh, that's what happened in the world. We're wandering around in the dark and we're tripping over all sorts of things. But if we come into the light and we're with Jesus, well, it's a different story. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or made obvious. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they're wrought in God. So if we want to be saved, if we want to be free from this feeling of guilt well we, we come to the Lord and uh, he undertakes for us okay now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 53 and we read here uh, we'll start reading in verse 3 this is a wonderful prophecy of uh, Jesus Christ and what he, he did for us he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. People put no value on him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And so the people of the world, they just said, get away with him. He wasn't stoned the day that he... Um, saved the life of this woman but he was crucified a while later and people just said oh he, he thought he had all the answers but look at him now and uh, he's taken away there and the crowd cried out for his uh, uh, for him to be tortured and killed and all this sort of thing and, uh, and nobody put any value on him but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and so that's why we don't have to feel guilty anymore we, um, we might go back to the New Testament and I want to take you to uh, Romans and chapter 8 and we'll read there Romans chapter 8 
And verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So <clears throat> we're not guilty anymore. And we mustn't allow ourselves to feel guilty because the Lord has saved us. And it's almost like, some of us almost like, we're out there swimming. We get into trouble. The lifesaver comes out and, uh, and, and, and drags us ashore. And we break away from them and go and jump in again. We can't swim. Well, that's... Uh, I don't know whether that's a good illustration. I just thought of it. But anyway, but um, there's no condemnation now. But how does it apply to those who walk after the Spirit? And that's why we're constantly encouraging each other to walk in the Spirit, to look at the spiritual side of things, because there is just so much influence from the natural side. And some of the natural side is really, really bad. And other stuff is not really all that bad in itself, but it's very subtle and it can draw us away. And we can start missing meetings, we can start missing fellowship, we can start hanging out with the wrong sort of people that are going to drag us down and all these sort of things. We can, we can stop reading our Bible and read all sorts of other rubbish and all this sort of thing, but walk in the Spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh and there's no condemnation. You don't need to feel condemned if you're looking to the Lord. We'll make our mistakes. In 1 John chapter 1 it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So there's a clue to what, uh, uh, what walking in the light is. Fellowship. We're walking in the light now. Or you're sitting down in the light. But we are here in the Lord and we're looking to him and we're here to help each other which is all important and so there's no condemnation we're walking after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus you know, so many people get hung up with the Old Testament law as I mentioned before people think if you live by the Ten Commandments my dear old daddy used to say look uh, follow the Ten Commandments and uh, do the right thing by your neighbour if he's worth it. I don't know where he found that bit. Um, and, uh, well, maybe that's okay. But the Lord also said, love your enemy. Um, and, uh, but somehow or other, that's the feeling that most people have got, if they've got any belief, if they think there's a, such a place as heaven, it's the good people that go there. Now it's the saved people that go there. Anyway, so the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus. We need Christ within us. We need to have the Spirit within us. And it's his life that is, is reflected through us. And our testimony, it's not really our testimony, it's Christ's testimony in us that he shines forth and we do something good, whereas we used to do bad things before. People say, oh, it seems to be doing him or her some good. Of course it is. It's doing us a lot of good. And so we, the, laws, the, the, the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus and it made me free from the law of sin and death. The old law condemned us. The new way under Christ 
sets us free. And what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemned uh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So we couldn't do it. Christ did it for us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I, w- I want to take you over uh, to um, a little later in this chapter and we'll read in uh, uh, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We need to stop and think about this this message which we preach. If God's for us, that's all that counts. Who can be against us? It goes on a bit later in this chapter. Who's going to separate us from the love of God? And it lists a whole heap of things that can be thrown against us. But if God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not also with him also freely give us all things? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So have a look in your mirror. Have a look at the person next to you and say, that person is God's elect. We've got an election on here there's we seem to have lots of elections in this country and you know and um, so maybe there's a lesson there if you want to be a citizen of God you've got to denounce your citizenship of this world I think the Jehovah's Witnesses take that literally and and you're not allowed to vote if you're a Jehovah's Witness a lot of other people don't vote because they can't think of anyone that they really want in there at all. But you've got to have somebody. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I got onto all that, but anyway. So, <clears throat> who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elected? Is God that justified? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So you will have people that will accuse you. Now, I remember when you were a little boy and you stole my marbles or something like that. Uh, she probably would have lost them eventually anyway. But um, anyway, so we've got uh, people accusing us of all sorts of things. And if we've done wrong, well, let's confess it and ask for forgiveness and so on. But if God is not condemning, if his Christ is not condemning us, as he didn't even condemn the woman who'd committed adultery, uh, if Christ has died and risen again, and he's making intercession for us, and he is praying for us. And then it goes on to say, the love of Christ, nothing can separate us from uh, all of that. Anyway, Pastor Steve has been uh, waiting patiently to take us through the communion, and uh, anything I've left out, I'm sure he'll fill in, but uh, he hasn't got it all day. Okay.